everybody's doing well today? Yes or no? Yeah. All right. I like it. In Central New York, we kind of just grunt through uh, February. Here we are tomorrow, February 1st. Crazy. It's uh, great to see everyone here today. I want to start by going back almost 15 years ago. I was reflecting on that this week. It's mind-boggling to me that our journey in terms of planting a church in Syracuse goes all the way back to 2006. We were in Wolcott, New York, which, if you know where that is, it's kind of nestled in the woods between, uh, like, Fairhaven Sodus. At the end of 370, you just drive until 370 is no more. And you find this community, Wolcott. And we were pastoring there, ministering there, and for whatever reason, in the Lord's providence, the book Radical Reformation ended up being recommended to me by a friend, written by Mark Driscoll. And I read that book, and I thought to myself, wow, someone needs to plant a church somewhere. Actually, someone needs to plant churches everywhere. It was one of those books that radically, to use the word, uh, reshaped the way I saw ministry and mission in the world today. And I'll never forget, it's definitely a top five in terms of influential books. We recognize some of the controversy around Pastor Mark Driscoll, but nonetheless, at that time, that book was highly influential. And so we said, someone needs to plant a church everywhere. Definite need. It was compelling. And then over time, as I began to think and reflect on those things and drive back and forth from Wolcott to Syracuse, interacting with people who were far from God and or uh, de-churched at the time was a big term. People who once were followers of Jesus who were now uh, walking away. Not, every, not necessarily because of Jesus, but because of the church. No interest in the church. Some of that was real wounds, like being affected by failures in church leadership. And you could sympathize with some of the frustrations. Over time, that someone became us. We need to go plant a church specifically in Syracuse. And so in 2007, we resigned and moved here to plant a congregation in the Syracuse area. And uh, it was a couple years later that we had launched that congregation. And at the same time, 2008, Missio Church was launched in the city because we understood that a church needed to be planted in the city of Syracuse. Everyone said, go to the suburbs. And the leadership of Missio was resolved to plant a congregation that would fight for the heart of the city. 2012, 2013, we had grown at Missio. And I was on staff there as an elder, and we realized that there were 90,000 people in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County. And many of our people were driving in. We were interacting with people in the northern suburbs, and more and more we came to grips with the lostness of this place outside of the city, in the suburbs. And so what we did in August 2013 was based on what we understood the need to be was we needed to plant a church in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County. In 2013 that happened when Renovation Church was planted. 2015, the Lord in His providence brought us right here to this community, North Syracuse. The need was great. The opportunity was there. 
And we gave ourselves and our lives to the five zip codes that represent the northern suburbs of this county. So here we are in 2021, six years later from landing in this building, this community more specifically. And so we ask the question, now what? Now what? Have we finished? Are we done? Is the burden of lostness that we have felt throughout the years in this place, is the burden of lostness gone? Have we grown satisfied and content with where we are in central New York in reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ? As the gospel continues to become a faint, distant echo, as the wave of secularism and anything else but Jesus washes over our world and our community, the question becomes for us, do we continue to sense the need here? Are we comfortable? Are we satisfied in 2021? We talked about moving forward in worship, discipleship, evangelism, church partnership. And today we see the final engine that we are calling this congregation to prayerfully consider moving forward in. And that's church planting. And again, this is based on a calling and a need that we have together. We're called to this. We need to do this for a very good reason in a very particular way. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Paul opens this letter to uh, his friend Titus. In the face of great need and opportunity on the island of Crete. Raise your hand if you've ever vacationed in the glorious place known as Crete. No one. Anyone but... I think some military actually has been stationed there at times. Anyone? Just want to assume? You've been there to Crete? How neat. She's been to Crete. That's fabulous. I tell you, if you want to Google some images in central New York in mid-January into February, just take a look at a slideshow of Crete. It looks absolutely fabulous. Anyway, so there's a need and opportunity there on the island of Crete. And he has specific instructions for Timothy, and I believe that those instructions have a quite an impact on us here as a church and how we think about mission in this place. So let's turn there. Listen to what he says. Chapter 1, verse 5. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. 
This is the word of the Lord and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that the spirit of God would enable us right now to hear and understand your word, your truth. We pray that our our ears and our hearts would be attentive and that the work of the Holy Spirit would uh, do what only he can do in us. Conform us to the image of Christ. Give us the strength that we need today from your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, the opening point, I'm just going to tell it to you right out, all right? Crystal clear. Here's what I see here, especially given the context of this particular passage. Are you ready? Sinners need the gospel. Christians need local churches. And churches need qualified elders. I'm going to say it again. Sinners need the gospel. Christians need local churches, and local churches need qualified elders. You see the word need there. I believe there's a need that is uh, just present in this passage that Paul is addressing for Titus and Crete, but also a need that is uh, has implication for us today. And there are actions that are implied and actually explicitly stated, actions that are commanded because of those needs. Does that make sense? Good. So because sinners need the gospel, guess what the action is? Preach. Because sinners need the gospel, preach. We are called to preach the gospel because sinners are in great need of salvation. That's what I see here. You say, where do you see that? Well, you've got to go back to verse 1 through 4. You've got to understand the context of what's going on in the mission and ministry of Paul the Apostle. He's given his life to meet a need and embrace a calling that Christ gave him. That there was a whole world that did not know, that has not heard about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And everyone had to hear it because everyone needed it. And so the calling that was on the Apostle Paul, that he would also delegate delegate to others, was preach. Preach. Proclaim. Herald. Tell everyone about Jesus because sinners need the gospel. You see that if you look back in the introduction. Paul knows who he is. I'm a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. And he goes on to talk about verse 3, that is manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. He's a servant. He's an apostle. He's been commissioned to do something to the world, for the world, that needs something. And that is to hear the gospel of Jesus and embrace it by faith, and thus to be saved from their sins. Preach! Because sinners need the gospel. That's what we see immediately here. That's what we come to grips with. That's the beginning of this understanding of this passage. And here we are back to evangelism again. Evangelism is the tip of the spear when it comes to anything about church planting. Evangelism. That's the impulse. That's the motive. Impulse is evangelism. It's the tip of the spear. That's the central call of the church, to go and to make disciples, to bear witness 
to Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection and to herald a message to a world that has not heard it. So we preach. We preach Jesus. We proclaim Him to everyone, everywhere. Remember that a couple weeks ago? Jesus has done something in human history. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a gruesome death, but He rose victoriously over Satan, sin, and death. Amen? And that message, that reality needs proclaimed. So we preach it. Because it alone is the way by which we are saved from the wrath of God. That is wonderful news. Even in COVID, it applies. Amen? Nothing can stop it. Nothing can thwart it. It is the truth of the gospel. And so we preach it. And then, as people hear it, they respond to it in faith, and then they're saved. And then you know what we do? We give them a Bible. We give them a Hosanna worship CD. I'm dating myself. Right? And a devotional that they can write in. And we say, have a wonderful life. You're saved. Here's your Bible. Here's your journal. Here's your Hosanna worship CD. Shalom. Somebody throw something at me. Is that what we do? No. Yes, preach. Because sinners need the gospel. But what does Paul tell Titus to do and preach? As people put their faith, hope, and trust in Christ, he says, verse 5, that's why I left you in Crete. There's a reason you're there, Titus. There's a reason you're in that place. I left you there in that place. I didn't tell you to come with me as I went on to the next place. I left you there in that place. What? So that you might put what remains into order. Don't miss that phrase. What is disordered that needs to be put into order? What is disordered that needs to be put into order? What does he mean? Well, I'm going to tell you because I'm probably going to be here till 11.15. It's the converts. It's the Christians. Paul went to Crete. He preached all over the place. People came to faith in Christ. And he had to move on. So guess what? There was disorder. There were believers, converts, that in and of themselves would have been all over the place on what to do next. And they needed direction. They needed order. They needed structure. They needed the church. They needed to be a part of a local expression of the body of Christ. Put it into order, he says. Don't leave these converts in limbo, Titus. Don't leave them on their own. Don't leave them unconnected and uncared for. Don't leave them unled and disordered. Put them into order. He's saying, adjoin them to one another and oversee them. Plant a church. Plant a church. Because why? Every Christian needs a local church. So organize. Because every Christian needs a church. Christians need local churches. Yes, the gospel, amen, 
creates Christians. The, the gospel, the hearing of the preached word, is what regenerates the human heart. The preaching of the word, yes. And the gospel creates churches. Now you see Acts 2. They preached the word, and then they were all added to the number. So the church is a people of the word. It's a creation of the word of God. So yes, the gospel is needed. It creates Christians. It creates churches. But Christians continue to grow in the gospel in the church. Amen? Right, you go, wait a minute. This is organizationalism. This is, this is institutionalism. This is structure, order, hierarchy. Boom. How many times do we hear not interested. I love Jesus. I hate the church. I don't need that. I don't need to be involved in all those things. I just need to read my Bible and trust Jesus, even if it means I play golf a lot on Sunday morning. I don't need all that. That's institutional. Matter of fact, it's actually getting in the way of me growing in my faith in Jesus. I don't make this stuff up. That's what I'm told by people. The church is in the way of me growing in my walk with Jesus Christ. It's dead. Right? And, and there's a passion for the vine. I just want to be a part of the vine. Jesus is the vine. I just want to be a part of the vine, and I just want to grow and bear fruit in the vine. I don't want to be attached to institutions and all these things and hierarchy. None of that stuff. It's all in the way. It's all in the way. It's self-serving. Tell me you've heard that. Maybe you've felt that before. But what Paul is saying here is the exact opposite. No. Yes, the vine is significant. Yes, we grow, we bear fruit as the, the organic vine. But imagine if the vine was attached to the trellis, to use the imagery, the trellis and the vine. How much more growth and productivity and fruit can be born because the, the, the vine grows on the trellis. Structure, institution, order, and yet the Spirit of God moving vibrantly in people's lives. Christians need churches. And this is the Lord's design. All the one anothering passages in the New Testament, right? Church membership is crucial. It's central to discipleship and mission in the world. It's what God wants. He wants order, not disorder. Why? Because He wants growth. He wants vibrancy. He wants to breathe His breath and His life into the midst of His people. But that's in and through the church an ordered biblical church. Don't believe the lie. Yes, institutions have failed. Organizations have manipulated people. Let's just humbly recognize that. But the church of Jesus Christ is not a disordered bunch. It is ordered by God's design. So order them. Assemble them. Connect them. Join them together. Put into order what remains. How do we order them well? He goes on to say, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so he says, appoint. Because churches need qualified elders. Appoint elders. This helps bring order. This is how order is given and sustained. Leadership. You say, what do you mean elders? Well, if you look at the context, right, you go on to see verse 7, for an overseer, right? He first says appoint elders, 
But then he goes on to, to, to tell us more about that. For an overseer, as God's steward. We see two more words. Elder, overseer, God's steward. That gives us insight into what's going on. We also have heard the term what? Pastor. Pastor. In other passages. A noun and a verb in the New Testament. Uh, pastor. Right? So what's going on there? We got we got overseers, we got stewards, we got elders, we got pastors. Are those four separate offices and people? Four different names. Yeah. But if we look at the New Testament, it's really just one office. One office. And so we use those terms interchangeably. Elders are overseers. Elders are stewards. Elders pastor. They shepherd the flock. That's what they do. And so Jeremy Ryan says this, Biblically speaking, elders are pastors who are overseers. What do they do? They shepherd. Saints. Saints. In our statement on eldership as a church, we say this, an elder is a biblically qualified man who stewards and oversees the spiritual welfare of God's flock in the context of a local congregation. I read that and I was like, man, we did a good job of that definition. We probably stole it from somewhere else. I like it. Why are they so important? Well, listen, they know, they lead, they feed, and they protect Christ's flock. We get that from Tim Laniac. What are the what are what, what is it about elders and what do they do? Why appoint them? Because the elders are commissioned by God to know the flock, to lead the flock, to feed the flock, and to protect the flock of God. Very important. They are not his flock. They are Christ's flock. And he serves as a steward, an under shepherd, to care for and protect and love and feed and get to know the people of God, the, the, the flock of Christ. They're needed because there are wolves. They're needed because there are false there is false teaching everywhere. If you read the pastoral epistles, the reason man, you have to you have to be an elder and you've got to teach sound doctrine because the wolves are going to lead people astray. You need elders. You need to appoint them. Because as Jesus saw, right, there are there is sheep without shepherds out there, and that is a tragic thing that even causes in the heart of Christ compassion to well up. Look at all this. Look at them. They're they're harassed and helpless. They're sheep without a shepherd. So there it is. Christ even knows what is needed. Churches need elders, qualified elders. And I'm not going to go through every uh, characteristic here. I'm going to mention them in summary. But we ask the question, who should be elders? Well, there they tell us. Isn't that wonderful? Not just any person, but this kind of person. Right? Someone that has Christ-like character. Character is the foundation upon which all leadership is built. Not just competency, amen? But character. You see a lot of competent people fall miserably on their face because they don't have character. It's Christ-like character that you look for. Not someone that's perfect or sinless but someone who genuinely, uh, and, and just as you observe their lives, they are 
examples of Christ-like character. Above reproach, a husband of one wife, the ch- uh, children are believers, right? Uh, must be above reproach, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, violent or greedy for gain. No one would look at their life and say, you know, there is, there, there is something to identify and really disqualify them. No glaring, obvious, repeated, unrepentant sin in their life. These are men who exemplify the character of Jesus. And second, obviously competent to teach. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Teaching. Teaching. We see that in Timothy as well. You must be able to preach and teach sound doctrine, herald the gospel of Jesus, not just behind a pulpit, but also at, uh, in homes, in, in, in small groups, in conversations, uh, but for sure teaching, guarding the flock through sound instruction, pointing the finger at error and saying, eh, I know that feels good to you, but no, you, that's not scriptural. So appoint elders because the church needs them. And then what does he say? I'll say it again, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town. Crete's like 600,000 people today. I mean, Crete could not have been this massive metropolis 2,000 years ago. Where, man, we need, we need, you know, I'm sure they could have been content with one church in the middle of the island that everyone just came to, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, there could have been a big enough building to just fit every, all the Christians. But for whatever reason, Paul tells Timothy to put into order what remains and actually go to every town, every boundary, every dividing line, every little nook and cranny that you could see as a a place where people gather, assemble, and dwell. And I want you to appoint elders in every one of those places and uh, establish churches on every single corner. Imagine that. When we planted our church in 2008, said, "Why, why do we need another church? There's churches everywhere. Churches everywhere. There's 500,000 people. We only got 90 gospel-preaching churches. We're at a deficit. We're at a deficit. We need to plant churches. We need to plant churches. That's what Paul has given his whole life to, to see the gospel, this preach, organize, appoint thing, be repeated over and over and over and over again from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Preach, organize, appoint, repeat. That's the rhythm we're in. That's what we entered into when we, when we were born, became a follower of Jesus, and then uh, became a part of the local church and joined the mission of the local church. We entered into a, an apostolic rhythm from all the way back to the New Testament times, right? This, what? Preach, organize, appoint, repeat. We're in that rhythm. I, I, I couldn't help but think of DJ Khaled's commercial with Geico. And another one. And another one. And another one. And another one. I watched the full version. I'm like, he said it like 27 times. It, it gets annoying after a while, but man, it's catchy. And it should catch us. 
We should continue to be thinking and strategizing about how we can do what? Preach, organize the point, and keep repeating it. And another one, and another one, and another one. Just keep moving. That's what God wants in the world. That's the mission that he's called us to. This global call for the church to engage in until Jesus returns. Jesus has not returned. So how can we grow stagnant, comfortable, uh, and satisfied and content with where we are in terms of bringing the gospel to people from here to the ends of the earth? Are we satisfied? And that's why we have been in existence from day one. That's why we're calling each other to this redemptive task to plant more churches. To renovate the church. Let's move forward in church planting. Let's move forward. Let's join and participate in what God is doing in the world and the way that He's doing it. Let's move forward in church planting by preaching the gospel. We must continue to have the tip of the spear be the preaching of the gospel in the world. Every man, woman, and child. Every man, woman, and child. We're not satisfied with just 100 people in a building. Every man, woman, and child. Our mentality continues to look to the map in the back, on the wall, to remind us of why we're here, to remind us what we're doing, to give every man, woman, and child on that map an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ without them having to go or or come or go anywhere because it is our call to take the initiative to go to them in our everyday lives. So let's move forward in church planting by a resolve to be preaching the gospel. Second, let's move forward in church planting by organizing Christians into local churches. As people come to faith in Jesus, let's organize them. Let's have systems for discipleship. Let's have strategies for evangelism. Let's have uh, systems and processes to just incorporate people into the life of the church to mobilize them to this mission. Let's emphasize rightly church membership, church discipline, member care, one anothering. Let's do life on life. Let's get involved in each other's lives and encourage one another in the faith. Exhort one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Let's move forward in church planting by developing and appointing qualified elders. If you remember, in 2017, that became a wake-up call to us. We had gone from four elders to two, and we looked around at each other and said, there is no one immediately to appoint in our midst to the third elder. That was a problem. And what did we say? Why did that happen? Because we do not have an intentional process of investing in men for the hope that they would be called and uh, uh, qualified for the task of eldership. We've given our lives to this the last four years now, and we're slowly starting to see progress. Can someone say amen to that? And now we have four elders, and you know what? We just, it was supposed to be a three-year plan, but guess what? We said, we can never stop doing this. We can never. Churches need qualified elders. And how do we do that right now? Our worship services are a part of elder development. It's happening right here, right now. Corporate worship. Our missional community. I tell people, you feel called to ministry? Serve a group of ten people. 
love on them, shepherd them, invest in them, disciple them, mobilize them to the mission of reaching the neighborhood in which you meet. There's your little church to grow in and, and sense a call to eldership. Missional communities are, are farming elders. That's what they're doing. And of course, we have a ministry called Equip that we do. It's intentionally that. It's pastoral. It's theological. It's about uh, understanding how to interpret a Bible passage, which we did in our first year. And it's going to continue to go and go and go. And we're hoping to invest in young men and uh, maturing men to be elders. Right now, we're talking about an internship and a residency program. Hopefully, maybe even partnering with a college or a university or even a seminary that maybe we could have two to four interns, people that want to investigate a call to ministry and church planting, to come here, live with us, give one to two years. We're in conversations about bringing young leaders here to invest in them and grow them up. That's something that's been on our heart for years. Imagine that. Imagine having interns here that are sensing a call to ministry, maybe vocational, maybe not, maybe bivocational. But imagine if we could tailor programs and strategies to invest in people who are sensing that call. I mean, is that not the task of the church? It's all part of church planting. How are we going to plant church? Nobody wants to plant a church in Syracuse. We have, to, we, have to, we have to do this internally. We have to create systems and programs and intentionally invest because everyone wants to plant a church in Austin, Texas. Or Syracuse. You know, like, anyway. But God has us here. We're all in. We're all in. Preach, organize, Repeat. 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 So how are we going to move forward in church planning? We're going to repeat all of the above what I just said. Was said everywhere in the hope of saturating the place. We have always been about saturation. We bought this building because it was small. It would force us out. We have to grow laterally, not vertically. We understand that the greatest challenge we face is not relevancy. Like, let's make the gospel relevant so that the world believes it. The gospel's relevant. We may or may not be relevant, but the gospel's relevant. Right? The greatest challenge we've always been taught and embraced by Dwight Smith is accessibility. The gospel must be accessible everywhere to everyone than to hear and respond to it. We make it accessible. So we look at that map and say, how do we make the gospel accessible to all 90,000 people? So we go to every place, in every town. We appoint elders in every town. We have small drops of funding, as we've said often, all over Onondaga County. We're not trying to have a church of 500. We're trying to have 10 churches of 50. Because we're about saturation. We'd rather have 10 churches of 50 than one church of 500. Because accessibility is an issue with evangelism. Get the gospel there. Bring the gospel, organize them, appoint elders, plant the church. Repeat, repeat, repeat. We have, if you've heard us talk at all, we have had a vision to plant a congregation in Baldwinsville since the day we came to this building. 
five years. Why? Well, we thought we were going to plant in the smack dab in the middle of Liverpool and Baldwinville, but by God's providence, he kept bringing us east on the map. We had hit North Syracuse, and it's not that we made a promise, but we basically recognized, well, if we're leaning this way geographically, and we have 30 people in Baldwinville, much of our people were in Baldwinville at the time, that we need to think about what does the Lord want for Baldwinville in the years to come? What does the Lord want for Baldwinville? So right now, I'm telling you, our eyes are on the village of Baldwinville. Timing, ways, how, when, none of that. Not concrete yet. But our eyes are turning uh, uh, in increasing ways towards the village of Baldwinville. So our heart is, we're praying about sending 30 members and three elders to that place as soon as the Lord allows say you only got 92 members that's probably missio had 90 members in 2013 and they sent 30 members to north syracuse that's what we do it's hard on missio it'd be hard for us but it was true that's what the lord wants us we're not going to pressure or force or make anyone do anything hear that crystal clear we're simply asking that you pray. We're simply asking that if you live in Baldwinville, you live near Baldwinville, or you feel a call to plant and just get in the game on uh, something we want to do in Baldwinville, just see us. Talk to an elder. Pray with us. Partner with us. And as we really begin to look at the map, if you see where we are there, that our renovation in the village of North Syracuse, you begin to see a few other, if I can call them gray areas, it's hard to not think about the next 10 years and just pray that the Lord would enable us to plant three churches in three villages in, the, in 15 years. So we're starting to think about and embrace a three-village vision. Imagine if, in the next five years, we saw an ordered biblical church in Baldwinsville. And we began to make steps to have an ordered biblical church in a community that desperately needs it in the village of Liverpool. Imagine if we gave our lives to that together. Again, timing, way, all details. Man, we've known this for long enough that God works all those things out. And who knows, our, maybe we're going to plan church in like, I don't know, Pennville. Wh- whatever God wants to do. But you look at that map and you say... Imagine if that's what the Lord is doing. He's posturing us to have a gospel presence, a gospel-ordered church led by elders with members who have given themselves to the responsibility of bringing the gospel to every man, woman, and child in that community in, in those three villages on that map. That's just something to be praying about. A, vi- a vision for three villages in the next ten years. Could you imagine got to get practical, brother. What do I got to do to be a part of this? Well, in 2006, 2008, 2012, and now 2021, there are four ways you can get involved when we cast a vision for three villages. Number one, you want application today? Pray. 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 According to the need, sinners need the gospel, Christians need churches, 
churches need elders. Start praying for those things. Pray. Pray for renovation. Pray with renovation for those specific things. Pray that God would do an amazing work in uh, the northern suburbs of this county, in and through us. Pray, pray, pray. And pray about these things. Pray about giving. Right? How do you get involved? You can give financially. That's right. Because church planning needs resources. So give to Renovation Church. Let us know you want it to go to church planting. We have $30,000 set aside already because of the generosity of you and our partners. So give. Resources, fuel, and help undergird the, the mission, what we're doing. So give financially. Number three, you want to get involved, serve. When the time comes, right? We'll need more help to serve here if you're not one of the people that are going, right? Uh, serve there. God has given each and every one of us a gift, a, a, a function in the life of the church. No member is indispensable to that. One of the beautiful things about church planning is that it's people empowerment intensive. That's one thing we saw when we left Missio to come here, is that all of a sudden people who were sidelined and unnecessary to what we were doing became absolutely central and necessary to do it. It empowers people. So step up. God has given you a gift. He is using you by His Holy Spirit to build the church, to reach the world. It is not just gifted, a few gifted people. It's every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. So serve. So many opportunities and needs. Serve. And last, go. That's what we told people when they planted a church. Pray, give, serve, go. Go. That means go with us to Baldwinsville. When the time comes, we're sending 30 members, three elders. If you live in Beville, you live near Beville, please pray about this. Take responsibility to preach the gospel, put into order what remains, and appoint elders. And maybe you're one of those elders. Maybe the Lord is doing something in your heart, giving you the aspiration to eldership because you love the church. And you know that the mission of God matters in the world. And you know that sinners need the gospel and Christians need churches. And you want to give your life to that holy task. If that's you, talk to us. Go with us. Let's plant churches. Let's move forward in church planting. Amen? <laughs> and here we come full circle. I'm going to end with this. Why? A lot of ranting and raving from Maisie. But why again? What did we start this series with? Moving forward in what? What was the first week? Worship. Why such call to mission? Right? John Piper said it well. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Let's not forget why. This is about the glory of God. This isn't the building of a brand. This isn't the establishing of locations for another church. This isn't a bigger platform for any one of us. This is not what this is whatsoever. We plant churches because God deserves worship. Psalm 67. I believe it was the message preached at our first previous service in November 2012. Psalm 67. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Here's our hope. Ready? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Amen? Renovation, let's move forward in church planning. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would send out laborers into your harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Inspire us, Lord. Provide for us. Give what is needed so that sinners come to faith in Christ, so that churches are established in every place. Lord, raise up elders to lead and love and shepherd and protect your flock. We pray you do all of this for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. Stand and we're going to respond in song. I promise I know this one.